Welcome to another edition of the world's best Oklahoma State uh, football podcast from the Tulsa World Studios. Garen Emig, world sports columnist, along for the ride. And uh, riding shotgun, of course, Mark Cooper, who covers the Cowboys like no other for the world. Wrote a lot about what happened in Stillwater over the weekend, over last weekend, with Boise State coming to town and losing with a 44-21 defeat that I think encourages the entire fan base. We'll get to that. We'll get to a Big 12 opener that's, I think, rather important this weekend with the Cowboys hosting Texas Tech. But, Mark, first we, uh, we, we pivot and talk recruiting because one of Tulsa's finest uh, disappointed Cowboy Nation last night when he uh, tweeted his commitment, his verbal commitment, if you want to call it that, to, to Michigan. And I think that has that's set the, the fans several different ways, judging from some of the reaction. Um, they were gracious to Dax on Twitter, which I thought was cool, and I'm thankful for that, but I, I'm not sure it sits comfortably with everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think Oklahoma State obviously put in a lot of time trying to recruit Dax Hill. I think the, the biggest thing that got OSU fans excited is He's Justice Hill's brother, right. and so I think that uh, gave a lot of people hope that maybe he'd want to follow in Justice's footsteps mm-hmm. to, to Stillwater. Obviously, uh, you know, Justice has said nothing about good things about his experience at OSU, and, and clearly he's had a good enough career where he's going to go on to play in the NFL after this. Um, and Oklahoma State always can use you know five-star defensive players as right. as could anybody, but uh, you know OSU getting more talent on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, is certainly paramount in this league, so I think there's a lot of disappointment there. Uh, but you know, you wrote about how the reaction on social media was generally almost 100% positive in terms of people congratulating Dax and, yeah. and wishing him well at Michigan, and uh, I think that's really encouraging. I think mm-hmm. uh, people took the right approach to this, uh, and and you know, probably always thought it's hard to turn down Alabama if you decide to go there, or going to play safety in the Big Ten is a lot. You know, probably better for your pro prospects than playing safety in the Big 12. Yeah, and I didn't realize this until I dug into Michigan a little bit last night after the fact, but they, they didn't just put uh, Jabril Peppers in the NFL two years ago, or it was a 2017 draft. He was a first-round pick, but the other safety on that team went in the third round, and they had Jordan Lewis drafted that year. And so despite the fact that Jim Harbaugh has not done what everyone expected him to do with that program, they're still getting guys in, in the NFL, and the problem's clearly up in Ann Arbor on the other side of the ball. Uh, so if right. you're a defensive player, and you mentioned it, and, and you have a choice, of, if you're in the, let's put it another way, if you're in the middle of a secondary, and you have a choice between having your head on a swivel in the Big 12, not knowing when you got to support the run or, or get thrown on deep, or facing some of the quarterbacks you do in the Big 10, some of the offensive, they still huddle in the, in the Big yeah. 10, right? Yeah. Maybe not as often as the SEC. And then it starts to make a little sense Besides the fact that, oh, yeah, Michigan happens to be one of the top 30 public universities in the country. Right. All of those things right. add up. And, uh, you know, we've gotten to know the Hill family a little bit. Dax Hill's obviously a very sharp guy and, mm-hmm. and you know, wouldn't have made this decision without uh, being extremely informed. Obviously, he was up at Michigan this past weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they played SMU and, and took his visit there before he decided. Uh, but I, I think that he's going to succeed wherever he decided to go. Yeah. I, th- I think he's he's going to have a pretty good career at Michigan. Well, I wrote uh, several weeks ago, I thought it was Alabama, just because as much as Michigan has recently put guys in the NFL and as much as it's easier to play safety in the Big Ten, man, I I still don't see how you turn down Nick Saban in Alabama if you're a safety. But but again, I understand the the Dax's situation. The family is obviously a cut above and uh, he has a good sense about him. Well, Justice has a good sense. We've known him a lot better than we've known Dax, having been in Stillwater the last couple of years. But if he's anything like Justice, he's, he's a pretty sensible kid. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And uh, kind of going back to the Oklahoma State side of things, it's certainly disappointing just because I think Oklahoma State 
hasn't had a star defensive back in a few years, really. I mean, Jordan, right. Jordan Stearns was a really good, really solid player uh, two or three years ago. They haven't really had that safety kind of come in and, and replace him or Trey Flowers this year. Uh, you know, maybe Jarek Bernard, who's a freshman there who blocked a punt and had a sack this weekend, maybe he takes a little bit of the sting off losing Dax Hill because he clearly looks like somebody who, who could start for them, you know, maybe as early as next year and, and play for the next three seasons. Yeah. Um, but it's rare that Oklahoma State gets this close to getting, you know, mm-hmm. somebody as, as kind of transcendent uh, in terms of his recruiting ranking right. and everything as Dax Hill. And so, uh, you know, one of those rare opportunities for OSU to get somebody who uh, everybody around the country seems to know at this point. And that leads me into the last thing I wanted to talk about, and then we'll move on to, the, to last week and this Saturday. And that is the recruiting situation at OSU. My, so Mike Holder says what he said several, what was it last, was it last summer or last year? It feels last, like last, last summer. <laughs> uh, last early, summer. Early in the summer, but yes. He starts talking about uh, maybe what he'd like to see in terms of recruiting, going after some of the higher-starred kids, and then all of a sudden that gets the fan base stirred up, and it's like, why aren't we getting these kids? Why, uh, the program's winning more than it ever has been. We should be in on these kids. Here's the guy in, in, in your own backyard with, a, with an older brother, by the way, who's your star running back. You didn't get him, and now the only thing I, I wonder moving forward is not so much about Dax Hill any longer. It's about Mike Gundy and whether he has to wear this. To the fan base, whether he has to answer to this, probably a little bit. And, and you and I talked about this before we came on. I, I I sort of wonder if the older brother, older sibling thing is a little bit overblown. Just thinking about it in the mm-hmm. sense of you know, I don't necessarily know that I'd want to follow uh, an older sibling who's the face of a, a program at that school. That's that's a lot of pressure. I you know I'd be interested in a little bit to kind of make my own path. Uh, and so, you know, Oklahoma State's had quite a few siblings who come to campus they've got two guys in their upcoming class who are brothers of current players on the roster Dax Hill would have made three uh, but they've also lost their share Jordan Stern's brother is a you know four or five star kid who's a safety at Texas now who I think OSU would have really liked to have Dax Hill sort of joins that group uh, to wear it yeah to an extent I think uh, you know I just brought this up Oklahoma State's 2019 class they've got 17 players committed right now it's ranked uh, by 24-7 sports, 43rd in the country and 7th in the Big 12. That's not, you know, Oklahoma State hasn't finished 7th in the Big 12 standings in, mm-hmm. you know, who knows when, forever. Right. And so that's obviously not where you'd like to be. It's not too far off from where Oklahoma State has been, though. I mean, they were 33rd last year, so it's just kind of, they're, they've been doing the same thing. Aside from chasing Dax Hill and a couple in-state guys, Grayson Boomer, the kid from Collinsville, right. is the highest rated kid in their class. They're still, you know, looking for those kind of guys who are under-recruited. Mike Gundy hasn't changed his recruiting philosophy since Mike Holder's comments this summer. Yeah, well, I just wonder when Holder made his comments whether this would come back, especially with if, if Hill picked another school. And, and, and you kind of got the sense he might do that at the time Holder said what he said. And I, I, that's the thing I worried about in terms of Gundy's position is he's, it's, it's going to come back and, and haunt him is what it is, whether, whether Holder, whatever he meant with, with what he said. And I know Gundy tried to explain what he meant at Media Days in Irving a month ago. But um, it's uh, I don't know. Um, okay, how good is how good is this football team? That's a great question. Better After than, what happened? Better Saturday. better than I thought they were two weeks ago. That's that's for sure. Uh, that was really really impressive mm-hmm. on Saturday. And I think there are some things that that I still question. Uh, their defense was really good. Can it be that good against a team that plays no huddle and, mm-hmm. and plays fast? Because Boise State huddled. They they gave Oklahoma State a chance to sub and and kind of move different guys all over the place. Uh, whether they can replicate that against Texas Tech or, or any of these teams that play really fast in the Big 12, we'll see. Um, but I thought that the one thing that was interesting is 
you know, last year this team had such high expectations and, and a lot of people thought they were a dark horse to make the playoff. And as it turned out, they were sort of a one-dimensional team. They were a really good offensive team that was lackluster on defense, had just a brutal year on special teams, maybe the worst since Mike Gundy's been their head coach. Right. This year's team, at least right now, looks to be a little bit more complete. They might not be as explosive on offense, but they're getting the job done on offense. Their defense looks to be much improved, and, and special teams obviously you know, kind of won that game for them. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? You, I want to talk about special teams for a minute because – and this is a problem when you play two teams like they play to start the year. You, you, if things were being corrected, you, you weren't really allowed to notice, right? Yeah. Because against those two teams, you don't need to do anything out of the box. So we didn't really know if Jim Knowles was on the right track to fixing the defense. We didn't know if Yurisich knew what he was doing with Taylor Cornelius. And we certainly didn't know if Gundy had gotten serious about fixing an obvious problem in special teams. In fact, I, I remember tweeting. I was, in, I was in Austin for the TU-Texas game in Week 2, and I remember tweeting, Right now, of the three programs where you needed to fix special teams, the only school that's done it is, is Oklahoma, and that's because they went out and got Shane Beamer. Right. Unbeknownst to me, Mike Gundy had done some things. Yeah. He wrote about it this week, had done some things to repair the special teams. He just didn't know it until they did what they did to uh, to the Broncos. Yeah, Mike Gundy's handed special teams over to a graduate assistant every year since 2012, basically since Joe DeForest was, was on their staff. Uh, and th- those guys are there two years, then they move on. Uh, Steve Hauser was the guy the last two years. He's at Iowa State now as an analyst. Right. And so he hired two new guys to sort of fix it. He hired a special teams analyst, a former deep snapper at Alabama named M.K. Taylor, who was at Jacksonville State the last few years. And then as the graduate assistant, he hired Patrick Cashmore, whose background was at Toledo and Iowa Western and a bunch of small schools. Uh, and those guys kind of worked together in conjunction and uh, really, you know, found a hole in Boise State's punt protection and, and found a way to exploit it. And, mm-hmm. and those two blocks were, were obviously major. I think OSU's also been better on kick returns so far this season. Chuba Hubbard looks like he's an upgrade. I think that's the biggest thing is they've got better personnel there. Um, but you're right. We we didn't really see much these first couple of weeks aside from knowing that they're pretty steady at kicker with Matt Amendola and, mm-hmm. um, you know, punter Matt Hockett's been a little up and down. They're still waiting on Zach Sander right. to get back. Uh, but you're right. We, you couldn't see it on any of these units. Uh, you, you know, Oklahoma State really hid everything for mm-hmm. Boise State. And, um, you know, part of it, the other thing that I'm a little bit concerned about with OSU moving forward is I think they caught Boise State by surprise in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, Boise State didn't expect Heather Cornelius to keep the ball and, right. and run. They didn't expect to see Jordan Brailford at middle linebacker staring Brett Rippon in the face. So how do you how do you kind of keep that deception moving going forward? But yeah. so far... I mean, the coaches are have done a really nice job through three games. Yeah, I was I was about to ask if Brailford or Jim Knowles had the, the superior day against Boise State. I mean, it, it's eye-opening to see a kid and love to see a, a Tulsa kid uh, at that have, have such an impact. When you knew you had – you figured he had it in. We remember him when he was, you know, wrecking shop at Booker T, and we thought, well, if this guy puts on weight and gets developed in college, it's going to be something else. And as Gundy alluded to on Monday, just a few things were nagging him physically – once Brailford got through that, then it was a matter of, well, what do you do with him? And it, it appears that Knowles has figured that out just as he has with, with Calvin Bundage. And so it becomes, like you said, does, does, is he, you, you figure that he hasn't played all his cards because he, right. he hasn't had a conference game yet. Uh, and, and yet you, you do wonder if it all of a sudden is easy for Brailford to find gaps or, or pass rushing lanes now that uh, the cycle uh, now that uh, not the cyclists but the red raiders for instance are, are going to be breaking down boise tape and not uh, not just uh, south alabama tape this week yeah the thing the thing i really like about what jim Knowles has done both with brailford and calvin bundage is he's identified who are the guys who are my 
biggest playmakers. Mm-hmm. And then he said, I'm going to put them in places mm-hmm. where they can just sort of react to the ball and they don't have to think about what they're doing. And I'm going to move them around so that teams don't pick up their tendencies and expect the same thing from them every single play. That seems to be really smart. And uh, Noel said Saturday night, and, and I believe him, that's great for recruiting. You know, he can go show a defensive end, well, look what I'm doing with Jordan Brailford. He's he's all over the place. Uh, I think that's that's got to resonate well with recruits that he's taking advantage of yeah. those guys' skills and he's not you know, just sort of sticking to his scheme. Uh, yeah, depending. I, he said they've got a few more things in store. Uh, I, I don't know how much they. He doesn't want to pour too much on his players, obviously. Right. Um, but I. But I do think that uh, even in talking to Jordan Brailford, he seems a little bit more empowered this year mm. by his his new role. He loves it. And yeah. talking to him, he said, you know, when they brought it to him in the spring, he was really excited about it. Uh, but he just sort of speaks more freely with more of a smile on his face because. I think he just kind of feels enabled sure. to kind of do what he wants on yeah. the field and, and even talking to the media. Yeah, no, that, and for those who think, well, that'll get great. Well, it can make a difference. I mean, these, especially when kids are that age and they, they want to feel good about what they're doing. They want to go to practice with a little, you know, with, with a little uh, more verve. And um, coaches swear if you don't practice well, you can't play well. Well, you can't practice well if you feel lousy about your situation, whether it's nagging injuries or being you're not in the, on the field as much as you want to be. You're being misused in your mind. And so that's a great sign, I think, for him to be at a place, a different place mentally. Let's flip it over to offense. Do we feel, do we feel any better about Cornelius coming out of Boise? I think as so. As a quarterback, yeah. Uh, obviously, much has been said and written about his ability to run the ball. Uh, but I'd also point out that between his throws and his runs he handled the ball 42 times without mm-hmm. turning the ball over and he had three turnovers in the first two games and so that almost looked like you know a little bit of a question going into game three is he going to make kind of you know, two of those interceptions were in the end zone those were you know, sort of boneheaded mistakes that you can't have in a right. close game uh, the fact that he came out and, and didn't throw a pick and, and was really careful with the ball and uh, even though he was running and taking on defenders, he protected the ball while running. He never had any fumbling issues. I thought that was the most encouraging sign. Uh, the offense as a whole, the offensive line, two weeks in a row now, is kind of raising eyebrows in terms of they're not where they want to be, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because coming into the year, Mike Gundy seemed more confident in his offensive line than than most places on his team. Uh, and so they really need to get some things figured out there. But I think Cornelius is is doing what he needs to do, which is get the ball in the hands of his playmakers and use his own legs when, when the opportunity presents itself. All right, so you, everyone feels, uh, well, not just everyone around here, nationally. Uh, OSU shoots up the rankings. That you, you brought up some, I think in your day after analysis piece, you brought up some numbers that, that look better um, for in terms of where the Cowboys stand. This is not, as you put it, a bridge year. It doesn't seem to be any longer and even last week you and I were discussing the potential that was there for this team if they got over the Boise State hump well they've done it emphatically and now you look at the next six weeks and boy does it set up nicely uh you say that you turn around and you think well Tex quarterback just threw for like a million yards and they they beat a team that just crushed Arizona that's Houston on Saturday night now that Red Raider defense looks familiar so you got to think OSU's looking at its chops offensively Saturday night but we're not ready to think that this is going to be no automatic, are we? Oklahoma State hasn't had a history the last few years of blowing out many teams once they get to Big 12 play. They seem to make things hard on themselves at times. I mean, they've won nine in a row against Texas Tech, but last year 
that game was Texas Tech's game, and, yeah. and OSU had to come back in the fourth quarter. 2016, I remember Texas Tech's kicker missed an extra point, and OSU ended up winning the game 45-44. So mm-hmm. Tech's been as close as they could be to beating OSU the last two seasons, and you mentioned it. Their their offense looks like a you know classic Texas Tech offense, and it's going to be a struggle for OSU to stop them. I think everybody kind of expects – Though OSU's favored by, I think, 13, I think Texas Tech's going to score, and, and OSU's going to have to play really well offensively to keep up with them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the next six games, the opportunity's there, but there's reason to believe in every single game that it's going to be close. OSU hasn't played well in Lawrence the last three trips they've been up there. Two of those have been single-digit games, mm-hmm. even even when Kansas isn't very good. And Iowa State's a team that plays OSU tough every single time. Mm-hmm. Going to Manhattan is is never easy. Texas, one of these years, might figure out how to beat OSU again. Obviously, Oklahoma State's had had their number the last few years, so right. Uh, I sort of pumped the brakes on on the idea of even though I wrote in Monday's column nine and zero looks pretty good right two now. Two teams. Uh, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people think both teams could be undefeated for Bedlam, yeah. uh, which would be ironic because last year everybody thought that was going to be the big game, and yeah. it, it could be this year. Uh, but I think that Oklahoma State's next six games. Uh, Really, none of them are easy. Even even the you know after Texas, they go to Baylor. They haven't beaten Baylor since 2013. That's that's their longest losing streak to any team in the conference. So uh, there's not there's no game that I uh, maybe Kansas, but other than that, there's no game I circle and say they're definitely going to win this one. Every week, there's a tendency to take a position and say, "Show me something." Um, that that's going to be the old line. I think maybe moving forward every week, it looks like for OSU uh, coming out of the opener, it was quarterback with Cornelius. You know, I'm thinking about going into this weekend's game. It's a group that really hasn't been tested yet and surely will be Saturday night. That's a secondary. Yeah, Tech's absolutely. Got, Tech, Tech always has receivers, but you said just a little bit ago in the office, uh, they've always got capable receivers, but they're going to look a little different Saturday yeah. night. This is an interesting bunch yeah, that the Red got, Raiders are bringing. You know, uh, six foot five, six foot six receivers out there for, for Bowman and that's a little bit different than you know Jakeem Grant or or Kiki Kuti the last few years guys who weren't massive targets like right. these guys. Uh, AJ Green did not have a very good game against Boise State and just he he gave up two touchdowns. First one, uh, John Hightower, Boise State's speedy receiver, beat him over the top, and then the second one was the one-handed catch that AJ Richardson made down the left sideline that I think made Sports Center and everywhere. And it was a great catch, but. Uh, Green had him covered and just didn't put his arms out. And mm-hmm. if he put his arms out, that catch wasn't going to be made. He was close enough that he was going to deflect the ball or, or you know, just a lapse in concentration on Richardson's part. Right. Uh, so it was a little bit of a struggle for Green. He needs to bounce back and, and play well against Texas Tech. The pressure's on him and, and Rodarius Williams more than anybody in this game. I think, uh, yeah, Oklahoma State's offensive line, we're going to watch it every week. But they should succeed against Texas Tech, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is a, a big game for the cornerback position because – they won that game 44 to 21, but I didn't come away as confident in their corners as I did in their front seven on mm-hmm. this defense. And I think it's going to be harder to get pressure just, on Texas Tech's say. quarterback because they're going to move the ball so fast yep. uh, that the secondary is going to have to be better. They tackled really well against Boise State. Uh, you know, there, there really weren't many missed tackles. Boise didn't have any big plays that resulted in yards after a catch. Uh, but I think it kind of gets harder to tackle Tech because Mike Gundy said this on Monday, Texas Tech uses the entire field more mm-hmm. than most teams do, and so you're going to have to make a lot more tackles in space than you did against Boise. Well, that point you made just a little bit ago is, is dead on. Look, Brailford and, and Bundage, you can put them anywhere if you're if you're um, a Jim Knowles on Saturday, but Tech has never been about you know eight-step drops, right, and, and guys you know, holding the pocket, holding the pocket, and then 
open guys come open. It's get it's take the ball, get rid of the ball. It's been that way down there forever. So it, it just doesn't set up to be a, a, as nearly as a, a impactful game for Brailford, uh, Bundage, or OSU's defensive front. Having said that, uh, it's another year where the Tech tried to tell us the defense was better, and I don't think it is. And so, I look, it's, it's sort of like OU last week against Iowa State. They should, if they get ahead, they should stay ahead. It just sets up to be that kind of game, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think uh, I still expect this game to be – within range for Texas right. in the fourth quarter. I think OSU is going to win this game by 10 points or, or whatever. They'll find a way to win. Uh, you you just sort of, if you're an OSU fan, you hope that Cornelius' progress continues. I think he's gotten a little bit better each of these first three weeks of the season. Uh, the, the only way Texas Tech, I think, can win this game is a couple turnovers swing it. If Cornelius throws an interception or two or maybe Tech blocks a punt or something like that and, and swings this game, I think that's – if OSU can – stay even or, or win the turnover battle. I don't really see a way that Texas Tech wins just because I think OSU's uh, probably a little bit more talented. And it's interesting, the coach on the Red Raiders, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, is a guy worth watching as well. It's, it might be an important game for him. I mean, he's seems like he's on thin ice almost every year, isn't he, and does just enough to step off? Yeah, and, and it would be interesting if, if Cornelius has a big game. Uh, you know, nobody recruited Taylor Cornelius, and so you can't really knock Cliff Kingsbury for not recruiting him. But, you know, he's from Bushland, Texas, which is in Texas Tech's backyard, sort of, you know, an hour and a half, two hours right. north. And he grew up a Texas Tech fan, uh, probably at one time would have loved to go play for the Red Raiders and be on the other side in this game. Uh, but really, you know, wasn't even recruited at all as a walk-on until the very end when he had already decided he was going to go to Oklahoma State. Uh, I don't really think that matters too much, but I would guess that there are going to be some Texas Tech fans who are kind of unhappy if Cornelius has a big day and it comes against Texas Tech. Well, I imagine that there were some Texas Tech fans unhappy last year to see Baker Mayfield right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> win, I mean, the, win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, and this this could be a you know similar sort of scenario. It's a, a walk-on. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he never walked on at Texas Tech, but this this is somebody from his backyard who, who was a Tech fan. He said he grew up watching Graham Harold and Michael Crabtree and loved how Texas Tech threw the ball around and now here he's going to be out there trying to score 100 points against Texas Tech this weekend. Well, he threw for 1,000 yards. I, I, I mean, I'm throwing these numbers out like they, like they happen. He got half a 1,000 throwing the ball. Over half a 1,000, didn't he, Bowman? Didn't, he, didn't Bowman break uh, the freshman record for passing yards? He did. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Tech's quarterback, Alan Bowman. He broke Mahomes' uh, Big 12 freshman record against Houston. I think it was, was it over six or over five? It was here. I'm, I'm bringing it up. Give me yeah. just one Okay. Second. Well. It's weird, though, because he's the guy that no one ever saw in camp. The two names that kept coming up were McLean Carter, talking about Tech's quarterback. McLean Carter and Jet Duffy. Right. And it was Carter who got hurt against Ole Miss, I think. I think, I think he hurt Yeah, he got hurt early in the opener in that in that, early in that game. You're right. And, and that's when Kingsbury, I think, gave the ball to this kid. And all of a sudden, it looks like he knew what he was doing. Not a highly recruited kid either. It's like three star, three star, right? and yeah. uh, you know, I'm like Gundy said, he was somebody that obviously everybody probably wishes he recruited. They recruited a little bit more because he didn't have many offers. So he was 43 of 59 for 605. Yeah, he did over 600 in five touchdowns. Nuts. Uh, but uh, Texas Tech was his only Power Five offer mm-hmm. at high school. I think he had Arkansas State and Cincinnati and. Uh, Houston, right. um, Illinois, I think, might have been okay. his only other one. But nobody else from the Big 12, I think, offered him a scholarship. And so uh, some, another quarterback who kind of slid under the radar here. And, uh, you know, he might be the guy who's there the next four years and maybe, maybe takes some of the pressure off Kingsbury if he can find a way to win this game. 
All right, before we get out of here, I didn't get to go to Stillwater Monday. I missed the dog. Yep. Did I miss Kenzie? Kenzie was back. From how, the, how did uh, that go? Uh, she's she's a regular there now. <laughs> she just kind of you know she knows where she's going. She's she's walking around sniffing and uh, you know my, I think Mike Gundy said if anybody leaves any loose paper on the floor, she's going to chew it up. But I think everybody kind of obliged uh, abided by that. And uh, really, the only difference was the lu- the lunch that they served to the media was catered by Tropical Smoothie Cafe. You're kidding me. They had pumpkin pie smoothies. So they, so he's got a deal going with them. Something's happening. <laughs> this is not just, he just happened to bring a cup, he just happened to bring the cup in with him after the game a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, they better watch out. It could become Boone Pickens uh, Stadium at Tropical Smoothie Cafe <laughs> Field. It'll be a movement, yeah, all this talk, uh, all, not all this, but if there was ever a movement to name the field after Gundy at some point, you may get usurped by the... By the smoothie company, he's he's uh, he's hawking. Well, they, were, they were not spiked though, as as far as he I made know. that very clear. I hope no, not. he didn't make it clear. I just I, I as far as I know. Oh, that's right, because you you sampled one. Yes. Well, what, tell me how, what what's your review? I mean, would you would you would you drink it again? Um. Uh oh, it doesn't it sound was fine. Good. I mean, it was a pumpkin pie smoothie, and they were in like small cups. I wouldn't have one bigger than a small cup. Uh huh. I I don't know what kind of smoothie Mike Gundy was drinking at the uh, end of the South Alabama game. I don't think he ever It wasn't that. pumpkin pie spice, probably. I probably there was not. some other spice in it, but I don't think it was pumpkin pie. He makes it interesting, and I, I love any coach that makes it interesting. So. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think I said this last week or, or a few <laughs> weeks ago. The fact that he's loose you know, made me think that he felt pretty comfortable yeah. about his team heading into Boise State, and obviously uh, you know, they played really well, and so maybe, maybe he was feeling pretty good about yeah. the idea that they could come in and win that game. So uh, as long as he's loose, if I were an Oklahoma State fan, I'd take that to me and – I should be a little bit confident about this team. No doubt. We'll see how things go Saturday night. Uh, it's going to rain on us, apparently. Yeah, it's going to be – if, if the rain stops before the game, it's going to be beautiful because it'll be in the 60s. It'll be like a nice fall oh, night. That would be that would be lovely. But I, I hear it's going to really, really get wet all over the state this weekend. So um, bring whatever you need to bring to stay dry. Uh, you and I are going to be watching from the friendly confines. The press box will be writing about it for the Tulsa world. Which will have uh, air conditioning, unlike oh, – so Garen was named last weekend for the Iowa State Oklahoma game, and uh, you know I know this isn't OSU, but you can tell them a little bit about what it's like to be in Ames when it's ninety degrees. Walk into a sauna, walk in, just walk into a sauna fully clothed, and sit there for three and a half hours, and and, and see how you feel. See if you have anything left. There's, I swear, there's there are people who read the column I wrote from that game. They're lucky that 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 there was it wasn't just gibberish. Because it really was like sitting in a sauna for three and a half hours straight, but that—that's yeah, we got the. That's so. That, would you so? Would you rather be in I was be in Ames in September on what feels like a summer day, or in November for a night game? I didn't think it could get any worse than trying to get from my car at the Hilton Coliseum for a January basketball game into indoors without without literally losing my fingers because of frostbite. I would almost. I think I would rather do that than feel like I felt Saturday. I, I think I think I'd rather handle the cold than. Than being a be stuck in a that was, I mean you had not to not to put a bad picture in people's minds as we sign off, but imagine you know 150 sports writers stripping down to their boxer shorts. That's about where we were <laughs> by halftime, and I'm not kidding. It was either that or die, and I didn't think that it was worth dying for. So 
Well, it'll, it'll be good weather this weekend, and, and you're with me You're with me a week from now to go to Lawrence, and I think it'll be a little bit more pleasant there. Next week on the show, all we're going to talk about is things to do in Lawrence, because I don't imagine we're going to waste much time on the game itself. Maybe we should so. rank the uh, Big 12 road destinations That would week. be an idea. Let's let's make a note of that, and we'll, we'll do that. That's, that's called a teaser, folks. So join us next week for another edition of uh, the World's Best Oklahoma po- Podcast. Oklahoma State podcast, there was enough of that. Uh, I don't want to get myself into more trouble than ESPN did over the weekend or USA Today, whoever botched that all up. The world's best Oklahoma State Cowboys podcast from Mark Cooper. This is Gary Neiman. Enjoy the game, everybody.